Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever-expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover Desperation, Part 1. Highway 50, in the House of the Wolf, the House of the Scorpion. Let's start the show! In Desperation, Nevada, there's a problem, and his name is Kali Antrasian, a bad cop. He pulls over a married couple, the Jacksons, and arrests them for drug possession, eventually killing the husband. He disables the RV of a family vacationing from Wentworth, Ohio, and throws them in jail but not before throwing the daughter down the stairs and killing her. Finally, he arrests Johnny Marinville after planting drugs on his motorcycle and tosses him in the clink as well, after running down a townsperson with his police cruiser. Down the road, Steve Ames and Cynthia Smith may be able to help out this group, but Entragian seems to be growing and getting angrier. Jay, I said a bunch of names that might have sounded to familiar to those, even though we're at the beginning of a brand new book. We'll have to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, for sure. But what about the publication history, like we like to cover every time we start a book? Yeah, that's right. So uh, this book was published September 24th, 1996, along with its mirror novel, The Regulators. And together, both of those books make one image. And there's characters, as we just discussed, who appear in both novels. And if this sounds familiar, it's because we just covered the regulators. And I copied this publication <laughs> history from that. Here's a fact that I just found out about, Jay. And maybe, maybe you knew this, but I didn't. But um, according to StephenKing.com, King first came up with the idea for desperation in 1991. When he was driving his daughter's car cross-country, he passed through Ruth, Nevada, a small town with seemingly no inhabitants. He immediately thought, they're all dead. And then, who killed them? At that point, his voice immediately answered, the sheriff killed them all. In 1994, he decided to pursue this idea further while driving across country on his motorcycle during the Insomnia book tour. So there's all sorts of interesting facts in that little paragraph. Uh Like, I had no idea that he rode a motorcycle across country during a book tour. That sort of boggles my mind that anyone would let King do that. but. It happened, obviously, and that informs a lot of what's happening with Johnny Marinville in this section of the novel, I think. Yep. I just love how King is always thinking the worst of everything. Oh, everyone in this town's dead, and somebody killed him. And oh, yeah, it was the sheriff. Like, that, <laughs> that's a logical leap that my mind would not have gone to. For sure. It's amazing how if you can, like, pull back the curtain just a little bit and see what has gone on in King's life and some of the ideas... There's so much of what's in this book. Like, it's right on the page. Yeah. The Jacksons aren't even driving their own car. They're driving the sister's car. Yep. It's just, which is what King was doing. He was driving somebody else's car across the country. And I'm wondering if his daughter had a bunch of drugs in the trunk. (laughs) Hey, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? (laughs) There you go. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Finally, a little bit outside of the publication history is that this book was adapted into a 2006 TV movie with Ron Perlman, Tom Skerritt, and TV's Steven Weber. Yes. I'll, I'll give you three guesses as to which one of these characters, or which one of these actors plays Kali and Trajan, and your first two don't count. Hellboy himself? Yeah, I think so. 
It would be great if it was TV Steven Weber, but I don't yeah. think, I, I don't think he fits the mold. So uh Jay, why don't you tell me what uh your initial thoughts are of this book as we get into it? So far, I am enjoying the book quite a lot. King's doing a great job of introducing these characters. They already all seem much more fleshed out and dimensional than the first version of them that we met in The Regulators. But I could be kind of tricked by that. Maybe mm. I feel like I know these characters a little bit already because of The Regulator. And it's really hard for me to just like you know, pretend I don't. I, I didn't just read a book with characters of the same name, right. at least. There's a lot of horror movie, horror story tropes kind of showing up here where the most dangerous thing is something that people are either unable to or unwilling to even guess is actually the, the problem. Don't go in the haunted house, but they, they go in anyway, and then that's their doom kind of thing. I kept wondering, what if these characters had been just a little bit more skeptical? What if they had been just a little bit more aware? I think it's a brilliant stroke for King to make the vehicle of all of this horror a figure of authority mm. in making Entragian the sheriff. You're either automatically going to follow the orders of a of a police officer because he's the police or you're you're going to be a lot less likely to resist what a cop tells you to do again because of that built-in authority but every character seems to have a little bit of wariness about the guy there's something off he's telling me to do something that doesn't make sense there's this there's that but they still go along and they keep going along until it's too late yep and they're either immediately killed or trapped by him i know if they were if somebody outsmarted him if somebody said no and got away the book wouldn't really happen you know the <laughs> we'd have the plot but this is this is the setup here what about you i am really enjoying the setup of this story and for some of the reasons that you mentioned i found this incredibly scary and not scary in a vampire or apocalypse or thousands of rats yeah rabid dog thousand rats sort of way but a very real life scariness for two reasons. One, as you mentioned, the authority figure of a cop, like just knowing that one bad person can really hold your life in their hands if they wanted to. Peter Jackson, the the professor who's in the car at the beginning, knows he hasn't done anything wrong mm -hmm. and is still frightened and nervous because, as you said, there's an authority figure who's watching over him and questioning everything he's doing and he goes through that being scared at first to being like oh no this will be okay to oh my god this is wrong to he's shot and killed and to know that that is something that could and does happen on a regular basis in this country just scares me right to know that yeah you're one bad afternoon away from from losing it all so that part scares me the other thing that scares me is i'm not a big fan of unpredictability and the thing about Entragian that is scary is that he is, you, you don't know what he's going to do at any point. He's random. He's very random. And that part is also scary because for the same reasons, you might think you're on the good side, like Johnny Marinville does at first, right? Like, oh, this guy's a fan. I'm, I'm good. Like, I thought I was in trouble, but now he wants my autograph. He's read my books. And then when he 
twist the knife is like you write like shit and you're terrible and you're <laughs> you're awful then you know that randomness which plays itself out in much more deadly ways as we go on where he's just driving down the road he's like hey look there's a guy and he crashes into him like that sort of randomness also scares me because i like predictability and i don't like things to be as random as this so those two things together just sort of like i said scared me a lot and left me unsettled as i was reading this book unfortunately i'm worried that i've hit a high point with this book as well and again this is one i think you've read this before but i have not so this is my first encounter with this book and this is another book like the regulators which i didn't even know what it was about going into it it's like a big gap in my stephen king history like i don't know even the the broad outlines of this so when it turns out that Entragian might be inhabited by a demon and then there's a kid who's talking to God potentially and it's starting to get more away from that realistic horror to something more metaphysical, I think that that's where potentially the story has a chance to lose me. I hope that's not the case and maybe maybe I'll still enjoy it, but just my initial thoughts. That's all moderately fascinating. <laughs> Well, let's get into some of uh, what we're finding interesting in this section, part one, which was a big section. So now you know why we were on hiatus, folks, because uh, there's like 200 pages to read. <laughs> it took us months to read these pages. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of characters being crisscrossed here from the regulators to desperation. Some interesting things that are going on, and we thought we'd jump into it. So why don't we start with Steve Ames, Jay, who was a favorite of ours in The Regulators, and here he is again. Steve Ames is is interesting, and I don't know how interesting it is generally to just say, well, a character is one way in one book and another way in the other book, but I think that to explore how the differences might impact the story is, is kind of where I'm, I'm coming from. Sure. So in The Regulators, Steve Ames' catchphrase was, no problem, man. Anytime life was the tiniest bit difficult or uncomfortable or unpleasant, he just kept rolling down the road. Yep. Steve Ames here in Desperation seems to have a completely different philosophy of life. He wanted this job with Johnny Marinville because he saw that it was going to be challenging. Life without problems for this Steve Ames isn't worth living. Mm. In fact, his quote is, life without problems was a fairly uninteresting proposition. Yeah. We've seen a shift from no problem man to no problem. That's a problem. <laughs> I got to have some problems to keep life interesting. Yeah. That change has a lot of potential for this character. And we saw him change a little bit in the regulators, right? He, even though he was no problem man, he did make an effort to go out at one point and try to see if there's something he could do. And he does rescue the children early on, but he wasn't well-developed. That was one of the characters where we were like, oh, something's going to happen with, with him and the mm -hmm. regulators, and nothing really did. And already he's being set up in a role where he is potentially a savior for the folks who are stuck in jail, and that he's seeking out those problems. So I, I think he's going to be interesting in that respect. I also just, you know, after saying what we said about King going cross-country, I wonder who his Steve Ames was was following king yeah in, in a van while he did his motorcycle tour just to make sure I, I don't think he was doing the same things that johnny marinville was like he was worried that you know he's got to make sure that marinville doesn't start sleeping around with too many women or get involved with drugs i don't think king had those problems probably at that point 
but who knows what trouble trouble they're trying to keep King out of at that point. They're probably just trying to keep a, a an older older guy who is really hard to ensure yeah. on a motorcycle safe because he was you know bound and determined to to do this. Uh, you know what just popped into my head is that Steve Ames as this guy driving the the truck across the country sort of reminds me of the limo driver who brings Bruce Willis to Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza in Die Hard. Nice. And he just kind of sits in the parking lot for most of the movie and then has that heroic moment right at the end. Yep. And I'm just picturing, you know, Steve Ames. He's like, oh, I'm just kind of just chilling in the van, chilling in the van, chilling in the van. And then maybe there's this moment for me to be heroic by, I don't know, crashing my van into a door. I love it. We we mentioned Johnny Marinville and Johnny Marinville has changed too from the regulators here and not in a good way. I would, I would say Johnny Marinville seems fairly benign in the regulators. He seems a good guy. Mm-hmm. There's no real problems with him, but here he is still charismatic, but there is this undertone to this Johnny Marinville that does not seem like he'd be someone I'd want to hang out with. He talks about there was an opportunity where he could go go for something that had a great cause. And, you know, he also realizes like, oh, I could probably come up with some great writing as a result of this. But in the end, something else had come up, probably his cock. And this is Johnny Marinville, woman chaser, which has also led to the fact that Johnny Marinville has gotten divorced from his wife, which he did in The Regulators as well. But in this time, his wife also gave him an idea for a book and he sort of runs with it. And he says, best of all, He didn't think Terry had the slightest idea of what she had said, which meant he wouldn't have to share any of the proceeds with her. So just not a pleasant guy. Yeah, that's low. The regulator's version of Johnny Maraville was happy to, and in fact did, share the proceeds of the idea for the children's books with Terry. This version of Johnny Maraville, like, I'm not even going to tell her that her idea inspired me. Screw that. So... It's a lot harder to be sympathetic with this version of Johnny Marinville. And yet, I think King is still putting Johnny Marinville as, if not the hero of this book, the the character we're supposed to relate to or see through this character's eyes. He probably gets the most screen time out of any of the characters. Uh, I think he's got two chapters devoted to him, almost. And there's enough there that you're like, okay... Similar to The Regulators, there's this episode where Johnny talks about editing himself. Mm -hmm. Maybe later, if there was a later, he would care about some of those things, but not now. Now, in his shock and dismay, an earlier draft of himself had come out from someplace inside, a pre-edited version of Johnny Marinville, who didn't give a shit about the Pulitzer Prize or the National Book Award or fucking actresses with or without emeralds. And so maybe this incident with and Trajan in desperation is going to bring us to a point where Johnny Marinville's not the big asshole because he hit fame and became rich and just became out of touch. Perhaps there's an opportunity here to to scale him back and and distill him down to something that's going to be better. At least that's what's hinted at here. We'll see if that's actually what happens in the book. I got the distinct impression that this version of Johnny Marinville, just like the one in Regulators has that what Roland would call like the the steel, like the gunslinger mm. steel. He's maybe not a pleasant person in a lot of ways, but he will stand up for himself and defend others if he 
sees the need to do so. It's one of the reasons why he's able to basically stare down in Trajan at one point. Yeah. He's ultimately defeated in that staring contest because he's dealing with something far greater than he really he realizes. But none of the other characters would even look in Trajan in the eye, except maybe for David. There's that steel that and Johnny Marinville that I, I suspect will be important. Yeah, I, I think so as well. So one of the characters we start off with is Peter Jackson. I think he's the very first character we see on the road with his wife. In this book, he is a successful academic. He's an assistant professor of English whose specialty was post-war American fiction, who had recently published a scholarly article titled James Dickey and the New Southern Reality. So King never never stops at a chance to promote James Dickey. He's a huge James Dickey fan. He did it in the Regulators. <laughs> he did it here. He's, he's done it elsewhere. James Dickey, of course, wrote Deliverance which of course you probably know the movie and uh, wrote it was also a, a poet for a long time as well. And I was like, Oh, here, here's the first, like in the regulators, here's the first character we're introduced to. And by the end of the first chapter, he shot and killed just like the paper boy is in, in the regulators. Mm -hmm. You just hinted at the fact that King made a similar reference in the regulators, but what this really is, is a repetition for Jackson here. Mm -hmm. The regulator's version of Jackson aspired to these things as an academic, but he hadn't achieved them, and he was frustrated by that. This version of Jackson actually has. He's done exactly the wish list of the other version of himself, even down to the James Dickey. Yep. I, I think that's King just having some fun with this character, who he's going to have murdered in a few more pages. <laughs> Finally, we wanted to talk about Kali and Trajan a little bit more than, than we have already. We both thought he was going to be a much more important character in The Regulators than he was. And obviously here he's the key catalyst for this book. I love the backstory about Trajan that we learned towards the end. I think it's the the veterinarian who's in the in the jail cell already, who's a desperation native, who's able to fill in the story of, oh yeah, and Trajan moved here and he was doing security for the mine and eventually became a policeman, but he wasn't the greatest of policemen. And we, we, we only had three cops and he's obviously gone bad. I think at one point in Trajan even says like, boy, it'd be terrible if, if there's a bad, bad policeman somewhere like in this yeah. town, that would be really bad for anyone who came through. And it turns out he's, he's the person who is that one. And so he's, he's changed from a good cop with a bad rap to a very bad cop in this one. I wrote in my notes, he's a, he was a good cop with a bad rap, and now he's a maniac cop with bad skin. Yeah, that's true. The fact that he's growing, I think Johnny Marinville's the first one who notices it, because Johnny Marinville's fairly tall himself, and at one point he's like, wait a minute, now I'm like looking up at him much more than I should be, considering my height. And mm -hmm. it, it's hinted at, because all the characters who are in the back of the police cruiser complain about how far back the the driver's side seat is as if it's pushing against them. I think a couple of them even hurt their knees yep. because of the way Kali is. And that's just because he's, he's growing throughout the, uh, these, this first part of the novel. Sean, this book has a lot of connections to the dark tower and we'll get to some of those thinnies in a little bit, but there were also a lot of connections to other Stephen King things enough that I figured we should just do a whole section on, connections that aren't dark tower things yeah i think 
that is a good point because there were so many of them and I'm sure we're not even going to collect all of the ones I'm there's probably listeners out there like oh you missed this one or that one but we've got a nice little handful I think I mean the most obvious one of course is the other book it's mirror the regulators yep this is largely the same cast of characters just reshuffled or reimagined slightly one that was uh, maybe a little more subtle was that every time we enter the town of desperation we get this description of like an empty town with one traffic light and the upside down bicycles and it just made me think of the children of the corn yeah when those two characters finally get into that town it's just like that down to the single stop light and and everything so just felt like a close connection to that yeah i even thought that in the very first chapter when it's a young married couple driving on a abandoned road this time in Nevada instead of Nebraska, but just sort of being caught up there and then getting into a bad situation. I pictured Peter Jackson and his wife as Linda Hamilton and forget the actor who played in Children of the Corn from when we watched that. But yeah, very creepy. One maybe not clear connection was uh, one of the characters is described, it might even be Kali Trajan, as having a Bernie Wrightson jaw. And Bernie Wrightson, of course, is the famous illustrator who illustrated the king books cycle of the werewolf and then in the dark tower the wolves of the kala and so there's a bernie wrightson reference there which was nice yeah it, it was in trajan that had the the rights and chin or yep. jaw another connection that uh this reminded me of was road work mm. it reminded me of cynthia smith when steve ames picks her up as a hitchhiker that is so much like in road work when the main character picks up the hitchhiker and they form an immediate bond like they they actually or at least he does care for her in a way that is meaningful and it's pretty clear that steve ames and cynthia smith form a bond it's it might be something that is short-lived because of the circumstances they're in but during this time there is a connection just like there was a kind of a connection between them and the regulators I saw an echo of a similar story and a similar connection between characters like in Roadwork. And there's a line that her gamine grin lit up her whole face. And I couldn't verify this. Uh, none of my, my Googling got me anywhere on it, but I was almost sure that, that King used the word gamine mm. again or had previously used it in Roadwork. Uh, I just... I wasn't able to, to verify that. but Yeah, there's another line that talks about Steve and Cynthia, and it, they, they talk about the way people can become friends for a little while when they happen to meet on American back roads that go through the lonely places. Yeah. And in this case, the desperation is the lonely place, or Highway 50 is the lonely place where Steve and Cynthia meet. In, in road work, it's two lonely characters. Mm -hmm. The hitchhiker who's you know searching for something and then obviously the main character in Roadwork, who's just sort of lost everything. And, you know, you never know what that connection is going to be. And I thought that that was a nice line that, that echoed that. So when Johnny Marinville is worried that maybe Entragian is a fan who, who might do something to him, he's not too worried because he says, but they weren't murdered, especially by psychotic fans. That was Pulp Fiction bullshit. 
And he's like, well, there was John Lennon, of course, but, and of course, you know, he shouldn't be worried because, you know, it's not often that fans of authors would do anything to them, except for in Misery, of course, where the entire plot revolves around the uh-huh. fact that there is an author who is uh, taken over by a number one fan. But it turns out he shouldn't be worried because, as we know, and Trajan is actually not a fan. He starts off and saying, oh, yeah, I know your work. And it's all shite. So, uh-huh. so we have a direct connection to Rose Matter. Cynthia was friends with characters in Rose Matter and was a volunteer at Daughters and Sisters, the Battered Wives Shelter. Mm. She's not named in that book, but she's part of the same organization and is here claims to be attacked by and in fear of the main antagonist of Rose Matter. Right. And says that she was friends with victims of that that character. It's pretty cool. King's pulling in the Rose Matter universe into the Desperation universe, which I'm sure if you tried not too hard, you'd find a way to connect it to the Dark Tower universe and all things lead into the Dark Tower. That is true. And it you get there through a thinny. So let's get into some Dark Tower thinnies. I'll, I'll start off. My first one that I noticed was early on, before he dies, we learned that Peter Jackson is wearing a blue work shirt. And I thought, it's got to be made of chambray, right? Like, uh-huh. there's there's it's no gotta. other. It's got to be. That's the only, uh, that seems to be the only material that King knows uh-huh. for blue shirts. I kind of felt like like he accidentally didn't write that word in yeah. the sentence. It was blue work shirt. What? It's always blue chambray work shirt. Editor cut it out without him noticing. On Entragian's dashboard is a little bear that dances on springs. Mm. And because of the springs, its neck, specifically that this is what caught my attention, its neck was on a spring and its empty painted eyes stared back at Peter when he was in the backseat of the, the cruiser. I thought of Shardik when I thought of a bear with springs and and other mechanical things inside it. Yep. So thought this was a little Dark Tower thinny there. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's that's a good one. I think it's Steve Ames who says, I got a psychic streak. It ain't wide, but it's there. And again, this is just another one of the many King characters who has just a little bit of the shine, in, including many of the characters in the Dark Tower, just enough to, to get them through. Another thinny that I spotted was when... Kali kind of gets all high and mighty about his connection to and apparent control over the the desert animals. And he says, my children of the desert, the can toy, what music they make. And the can toy are, it's the exact same word that King uses in the Dark Tower for creatures who have rats for heads. They're half tahin and half human. And they are the low men that chase after Ted Brodigan. Yep. They seem to be something else in this book, but it's so strange that King uses the exact same words yeah. in, in this. So I have to say it's a, it's a Dark Tower thingy, right? Absolutely. I think so as well. I noted, I noted that one myself. I have a feeling we're going to be finding a lot more as this novel goes on, mostly because there's been a lot of people who said, oh yeah, you guys have to read Desperation. There's a lot of Dark Tower thinnies, so. I'm I'm guessing there's more coming. Nice. We also had some yucking it up moments. Did we? What do you got? I have two yucking it ups. My first one is 
Gosh, there's nothing worse than a summer cold, is there? The cop asked in his dark, musing voice. He cleared his throat and spat a cloud the size of a crabapple onto the face of the dashboard. It hung where it was for a moment, then oozed down the front of the police radio like an unspeakable snail, leaving a trail of blood behind. It hung briefly from the bottom of the radio, then dropped to the floor mat with a plop. <laughs> so gross. It keeps getting worse. Like the final thing is the plop. <laughs> that's really why I even bothered with this whole sentence was the plop. Continuing that, that one I was like, okay, maybe he's got a really bad cold. I, you know, I've got he's in the desert. It's dry up there. Maybe there's some blood. You know, Th- that sort of made sense. And I, I wasn't like thinking this is out of the ordinary yet. But then my yucking it up was. He had sneezed twice more on the ride in from town, and the second time there had been teeth in the blood he sprayed out of his mouth. And that's how I'm like, okay, things have gotten really gross oh. here. It's not like a tooth, it's teeth. So there are multiple teeth just being spewed out of his mouth when he sneezes. And that can't be a good sign. And this is when I really thought like, okay, there's something more than intriguing just being a bad cop. Uh-huh. And plus you have that phobia of dentists and teeth. So. Absolutely. Yep. Not my favorite. Not your favorite. And my uh, second and last yucking it up for this episode is one of his eyes was a cauldron of gore. Except for an occasional gray flash from its swimming depths, it could have been a plucked socket. Mm. Yuck. We probably could have had 10 more yucking it ups just from Entragian alone, but I think we'll stop there. Well, we want to thank our patrons who continue to support the show and get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. Visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower to learn more and become a patron today. And we have a new patron that we want to thank. John F. recently joined at the Apprentice level. So thank you, John. We're hoping you're enjoying the show and the bonus content we've got out there. It's time to get into some fun stuff. Very early in this section of the book, I got this wonderful line, and I thought that it sets a spooky tone right off the bat. A tumbleweed bounced into the road, and the cruiser's radial tires crushed it under. It came out the back looking to Peter Jackson like a nestle of broken fingers. All at once, he was frightened. Mm. The nestle of broken fingers, man. That's so good. Another great wording that I had, uh, especially for those of us who are old enough to remember cassette tapes, in Peter Jackson's car that he's borrowing from his sister, there's a Bonnie Raitt tape that had suffered a miscarriage in Deidre's dashboard player. Like, oh, that's a that's a good way of describing it when your tape just un- unwound and the reels were broken. Hmm. I have a couple of good lines. Maybe I'll just read them both. First, this is in Trajan when he says... That's desert lore, scripture in the wasteland, the resonance of lonely places. I I underlined that as well. That's good. It's a wonderful line, and it's even more remarkable that it comes from Entragian, and he's saying it to Johnny Marinville. Johnny Marinville is blown away by the poetry coming out of the state trooper's or sheriff's mouth. He's like, wow, who is this guy kind of thing? Uh, The next line is... The day's simple, unzipped loveliness stunned him. I don't know why King chose this combo of words, but it's so good. Unzipped loveliness. It's wonderful. Chef's kiss to that one. (laughs) I will say that I am not 
a huge fan of the art on the cover of these books, Regulators and Desperation. But one of the things that's immediately noticeable is a doll on the cover of Desperation. And it's mentioned a couple different times. And it's really creepy looking just the way the artist's style is. But for me, as I was going through the book, the doll that's left there just seems to be a normal doll. But dolls with no little girls around to mind them were sort of creepy under any conditions. That was his opinion, at least. And to come upon one abandoned by the roadside, half buried in blowing sand. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely creepy. Mm-hmm. That that artist didn't need to do anything to make it more creepy. He could have just had a regular doll just sort of yeah. slowly being covered up by sand, and that would have been creepy enough. Just a photograph of a doll. Peter Jackson's sister went to Reed College in Oregon, and he notes that she hated Reed, and that's one of the reasons that, that she she left Reed. And I remember when we were kids, Jay, and I was in high school, one of the things that my friends and I did when we were looking at colleges is we'd get those big college handbooks that would give you like statistics on the college. And the thing we always looked at was the female to male ratio because, hey, I was a nerdy kid in high school and I'm like, oh, maybe my chances will be better. And Reed College had just recently moved from an all-girls school to one that uh, also allowed males to come. And so at the time that I graduated, it was 19 to 1 girls to boy ratios. And I remember all of us saying, yeah, we should all go to Reed College. We'll be great there. (laughs) Didn't happen. Yeah. I I think my college was the reverse of that. You went to uh, Sausage Tech University? Yes. (laughs) Actually, it was Sausage Institute of Technology. Ah, okay. Sit. Good old sit. I feel like I'm also like Johnny Marinville when Kali and Trajan lambast him saying, don't they teach Hayfoot and Strawfoot to you, New York homo Presbyterians? And I was like, what's Hayfoot and Strawfoot? But I guess this is an old saying about when they couldn't get fresh recruits from rural areas who didn't know they were left from right. They knew the difference between hay and straw. So they would tie a piece of hay to their left foot and a piece of straw to their right foot. So instead of saying left, right, left, they could say, hey, straw, hey, hey, straw, hey, so they'd know how to march. Holy shit. So I guess I'm not the only one on this podcast who didn't know that. <laughs> you are not. I didn't know that either. I was guessing that it was something to do with sorting hay from straw and like you would always like throw the hay to the left and the straw to the right or vice versa or something. No. It's stupider than that. Like port and starboard. No, they like literally would tie a piece of hay to one shoe and a piece of straw to the other. Again, this is all apocryphal, but. Surely it's easier to teach somebody what left and right means. You would think. You do it like I do. Put your hands out in front of you and the one where the with your thumbs out and the one that makes the L is your left. <laughs> the other one's your right. So David, the young boy, uh, when we have his flashback, he's talking about the treehouse where he goes and prays and first hears the voice that he believes is God. And I think they call the trail behind their house, which again is Wentworth, Ohio. I think they call it the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And mm-hmm. the, the platform that that he's actually on is like some like Viet Cong lookout or something. And he remembers that the inspiration for that and the name that they had given the path was some old movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. David didn't remember the name. And I have to admit, Jay, I didn't remember the name either because I can't think of a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that takes place in Vietnam. Can you? I cannot. Perhaps that is why David can't remember the name, because it is 
nonsense. Yeah, non-existent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless it's something that we're totally missing, I don't know what that could be. Uh, the closest it comes to me is Rambo 2 when Rambo goes back, but that was obviously not Arnold. That was Sly Stallone. So. Well, maybe in uh, this this version of the, the Dark Tower or this level of the tower, Stallone is the is Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger is Stallone. Yeah, or maybe David is just not a very well-versed moviegoer and can't tell his muscle-bound actors apart. Yeah. If Jay and I are totally blanking on what this movie could be, and I will say that I am a pretty big fan of Arnold movies from the 80s, so I'm, I'd, I'd be surprised if I forgot it. Yeah, same. All right, well, that's enough fun stuff. What about some other worlds than these? Jay, uh, what else has been interesting you outside of Stephen King and the Dark Tower universe? I recently watched a Netflix original series called Giri Haji. And I don't know how long ago this came out, but I think it's been around for at least a year. But I really enjoyed it. It was a relatively short series. It seems to be entirely one season of an of an encapsulated story. So it's like six episodes, about an hour long each. So not a major time investment. It kept surprising me in its style and its substance. But the heart of, of its plot is a series of murders begins in Japan and that splashes over into london okay there is a japanese family and their connections to japanese mobsters and then that spreads over into london so it's like tokyo london tokyo london and there are japanese people as fish out of water in london for the most part and there are a few characters that there's a japanese police officer and he's chasing after his brother and he meets a woman who is a, a local police officer in London. And, they, and he also meets this like young male prostitute in London. And it, they become like this uh, instant family. Like they, they all just sort of like really care about each other. And they're so different. And mm. it's so random, this, this bunch of characters. And it works. And then there are these scenes where like out of nowhere, Somebody will start giving like backstory via voiceover and it'll be and it's animated. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then there was a scene in uh, one of the later episodes where it became an interpretive dance for like five minutes. Oh, wow. And like, what is this show? But it, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. And so you've got things like Japanese honor and Yakuza and different, uh, like, family heritage and honor and all this stuff and it's and i thought it was well written and fair and for the most part like very well acted and half of the show is in japanese with subtitles and the rest is in english and uh i really enjoyed it yeah that sounds interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna look for that on netflix my other worlds than these is the game gloomhaven jaws of the lion so gloomhaven is this massive I think $100 plus game that is consistently rated one of the best board games ever, mainly because it's got this Dungeons and Dragons feel feel to it, but it doesn't rely on dice. So there's a lot less randomness to it and much more strategical thinking. 
and it's a huge game and it's a big commitment. And every time my buddies and I play it, it takes like 20 minutes to set up and it's very complicated. Well, the makers of it created a smaller, more streamlined version called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And this is one that I'm playing with uh, my father and my brother occasionally. And it takes the best parts of Gloomhaven and makes it much easier. It's easier to set up. The rules are, are, are more straightforward and streamlined. It doesn't take away any of the complexity, I don't think. It just makes it a lot more accessible to people who may not want to spend a hundred plus dollars on a game and have a huge time commitment for setting it up. So Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is my recommendation for other worlds than these. I'm having a, a good time playing that. That sounds pretty good. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media are available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover Desperation, Part 2. Desperation, in these silences, something may rise. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. But that's not a discussion for today. No, especially not while we're recording. No.